Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Uh, we are live today. This is the first live one I've done in a while. So if you are watching, uh, yes, this is live. So if you have a question you want to put in the live chat, I will be glad to try to uh, answer any questions that you might have. So uh, I always do my best when I'm live to pay attention to what I'm doing to the subject matter while at the same time paying attention to what's going on in the live chat. So definitely appreciate it. Uh, if you want to, uh, if you watch this and especially if you're watching it live, make sure you like and share and all that fun stuff. This is going to be a fun episode today. I'm real excited about it and I enjoyed this week's programs. I uh, had a lot of guests this week and um, next week it'll be uh, premiering on Tuesday. I've got a brand new guest to the program, never had before. Pastor Jeff Woods, you're going to enjoy that program. Uh, he's a pastor in Kansas and he is uh, very non-Zionist and um, I've seen a lot of his Facebook posts and things he's done. And so what we did, uh, we did an episode where we watch um, YouTube shorts promoting Zionism, bashing replacement theology and stuff, and just respond to those. And so it was fun. You're going to, you're going to want to watch that one on Tuesday for sure. I know you're definitely going to enjoy him, but today we are going to watch a video. Now this video is from about four years ago. And make sure uh, you let me know if there's any problems too in the live chat with the audio or anything. Uh, that's a bad thing about doing this live. Sometimes you have technical difficulties. But uh, videos from about four years ago uh, by Christian influencer Spencer Smith. And uh, Spencer Smith is someone that used to be friends with. But unfortunately, when you, uh, when you go post-trib and you quit praising the Jews... People don't like you as much anymore, but Spencer Smith used to like me. We used to get along. Uh, he's preached at the church here a couple times. I do, I do want to play this short video for you just to torment him a little bit because I know what you are going to hear him say here. You will probably never hear him say again. But uh, he said it before, and so I'm going to let everybody listen. I'm glad to be here. I, I love Brother Tommy. He's got a great family, a good fella. And uh, I, I'm, I was uh, speaking to somebody not too long ago <clears throat> about uh, Baptist preachers in America. And I preached in over 300 Baptist churches here in America, and God's blessed me to open up doors for me. And I'm excited about that, thankful for that. Uh, but can I tell you something, uh, something that I've learned, okay? Uh, I'm going to give you this. This is something that would be my advice to you. If you find a good Baptist preacher, you better hang on to him for dear life. Amen. Uh, because they're coming few and far between. And Brother Tommy is one of those good Baptist preachers I like. I appreciate him. I got All right. But I'm not one of them anymore because I'm not like him on eschatology. In fact, it would have been that day. Um, I remember I had a conversation with him. Uh, we were eating lunch. We were sitting at Culver's and, you know, and I, and I told him that I wasn't pre-trib anymore. I was post-trib. And I remember just kind of watching his head drop and, and he was nice, but he was visibly upset and then, uh, proceeded to not want to talk about the Bible, but wanted to talk about other preachers and who at the time, um, he was, very uh jealous of their youtube success but um he's got it now so this was from before he was famous i knew him before he was famous uh before he came big time as a christian influencer and so um 
but yeah, and this video that we're going to watch is before he became well known as a Christian influencer. Uh, and so we're going to have, we're definitely gonna have some fun with it, but yeah, he don't like me anymore. In fact, um, I forgot when I got on Twitter, but like shortly after I got on Twitter, I hadn't been on there long at all. I had never responded to anything of his stuff on there. And then all of a sudden I saw this and it's still like that today. You're blocked. And so that's what he thinks about me now. So. Uh, that's what happens when you go post trip and, but that that's okay because either way, um, you know, I'm not going to sacrifice truth, uh, to get friendships. And even though he's a big time famous Christian influencer now, um, I'm, I'm not going to sacrifice doctrine to try to get in good with famous people. So anyway, and I'm being a little sarcastic about the, you know, the fame and all that kind of stuff, but I, I, he might think it's, he's that famous. I don't know, but either, either way, um, but again, I, I always enjoyed him, got along with him. Good. He's a funny guy. I appreciate many of the things that he stands for. Uh, I've not watched too much of his stuff. Um, but you know, most of the stuff that he supports, I would say I'm probably on his side. Um, you know, I'm not for Kenneth Copeland and, um, you know, Joel Osteen and things like that. And, you know, uh, I think it was Lauren Daigle that kind of made him famous when he went after her. I don't really know much about her, but I'm pretty sure she's a contemporary Christian music artist. I'm probably not on her side. So, uh, either way, we're going to get into this video and start looking at his seven pillars of the pre-tribulation rapture. That's what this video is. Okay. And, and in all fairness, um, he says it in this video, he's not going deep in describing all of these things and defending each of these pillars. It's just kind of a, a brief overview. I remember when he had originally shared this, I saw a lot of people uh, sharing it on social media and I think he just mainly wanted to make sure he got credit for it, but it's okay because it had his at brother Spencer on there. So everybody knew it was his. Uh, but either way, I don't know if I would want credit for these seven pillars of the pre-tribulation rapture that he put up. And so I am going to knock these pillars down today just for fun, just because I can. And um, if he would like to come on this program and defend them, he's more than welcome. He's he, Spencer Smith is always welcome to come on my channel anytime he would like. And uh, and. I'm, and I'm not doing asking, inviting him so I can feed off of his popularity. Um, I invited him on the program back before he was famous and he was going to come and then backed out last minute. So anyway, let's go ahead and start watching this video on the seven pillars of a pre-tribulation rapture, and then we will knock them down one by one. So this, this should be fun. So here we go. Hello friends, your friend Spencer here. I've taken some time off of my channel, but I want to get back into it a little bit today and do a video called The Seven Pillars of the Pre-Tribulation Rapture. Now, I am an independent fundamental Baptist, and I do hold and always have held to the position that the rapture is at the very beginning of the tribulation period and that the tribulation is a time that God is going to work through the nation of Israel and that the nation of Israel is not the same as the local New Testament Gentile church. Now, 
All right, I want to stop right there because notice too how he starts that off by saying, I am an independent fundamental Baptist and I believe in the pre-tribulation and all that nonsense. Kind of like making it like you're not really IFB if you're not pre-trib and all that, all that kind of stuff. And I will say, you know, in the independent fundamental Baptist movement that is becoming more and more of a denomination and anything but independent, you better believe uh, you better be pre-trib. Okay. And so any uh, organized group of independent fundamental Baptists are all pre-trib, but then they're also not really independent either, are they? So again, um, this is not a Baptist distinctive. It is not a Baptist distinctive. It never has been a Baptist distinctive. Historically, there's been a variety of beliefs on eschatology in the Baptist world really until the 70s. And the 70s is when it started changing. And so, um, you know, don't let people fool you into thinking somebody's not really IFB if they're not pre-trip. Okay. No, if somebody's not pre-trib, it might just mean they're actually an independent Baptist. And so uh, you can be independent and and, and pre-trib, but at the same time too, um, if you are post-trib, you're definitely going to be have to be independent for sure because uh, you're gonna you're gonna be pretty lonely in a lot of that world. So there's a lot of political pressure there. So let's go ahead and watch some more. Now, there are seven doctrinal reasons why I believe that, and I want to give you these seven doctrinal reasons. There is a graphic that I made not too long ago, and uh, it's, uh, it's been pretty popular. I put it on Facebook. It's been shared many times, and, and a lot of people have used it. And uh, it basically shows the word pre-tribulation rapture, and then there's seven pillars underneath it. Now, in this video, I want to just go through and just talk about these seven pillars, not at length, just, just hit on them and uh, talk about them for just a few minutes and explain to you what I mean by these pillars. First pillar is, number one, a literal interpretation of the Bible, a literal interpretation of the Bible. Now, for example, what you you have two options when you interpret the Bible. Either you interpret it allegorically or you interpret it literally. An example of allegorical interpretation, one time I went on a door-to-door uh, -door visitation and I talked to a woman at a house. She was a Roman Catholic woman. She was a Mexican lady. And she, I asked her, why do you guys worship Mary? And she explained to me a verse in John 19, 27, where the Lord Jesus is on the cross and he looks down at John standing next to Mary. And, he, and the Lord Jesus said to him, behold thy mother. And so John took Mary home and took care of her. Well, she told me that, that John was a picture of the New Testament church and that the church is supposed to take care of the Virgin Mary. And I said, man, I don't know how you get that. If you interpret the Bible literally, you just can't get that. And uh, she says, well, that's what that's how we interpret the Bible. And what that is, that's an allegorical interpretation. So if you just interpret the Bible from a strict literal standpoint, and, uh, and you do not go into these strange secondary, you know, uh, spiritualism of, of a New Testament text, then, you know, you can come to the pre-tribulation rapture position. Now, there is a difference between interpreted allegorically and also interpreting it uh, figuratively using symbolism and typology. There's a difference between the two, and we won't get into that now. But be careful of the allegorical interpretation of the Bible and just interpret it literally that's how we come to this position second all right so literal interpretation of the bible okay 
Now, this is, it's almost like, you know, and I hate to use just kind of a modern term that's probably overused, but I feel like I'm being gaslit a little bit when I hear a pre-tribber say, one of our pillars is a literal interpretation of the Bible. Now, understand, futurists and premillennialists have often used that phrase, okay? That is not exclusively something that a pre-tribber says, but typically, you know, well, always pre-tribbers are always premillennial, but they've always said that kind of combating the preterist who they feel allegorized the book of Revelation. And there are, and so there are, there are many people in the preterist world who look at Revelation very allegorically, while in the futurist world, they interpret it much more literally. So uh, people have often spoken in their eschatology about how we interpret the Bible literally. And so um, I think that's why he felt bold in saying that. But at the same time, if we're combating things like post-trib and replacement theology, which he's going to do, then why in the world would you tell those people that you interpret the Bible literally and a literal interpretation and not to be allegorical when, first off, I, and, I, and, you know, he doesn't go into all these things, but I would be very shocked if he deviates from these. Um, when you teach the seven church ages from Revelation 2 and 3, how is that a literal interpretation? When you teach the rapture is in Revelation 4, when one man gets caught up in the spirit, when he hears a voice as it were the sound of a trumpet, and then you say, that's the rapture. How is that a literal interpretation? Here's a literal interpretation. I believe John heard a loud voice, a loud voice like a trumpet that is loud. And that I believe John was caught up by himself into the spirit, not bodily, in the spirit he was caught up into heaven and God showed him some things. That's what I believe. That's To me, that's a literal interpretation. Uh, what When you say the 24 elders, that is representative of the church. That proves the church is raptured here because we see the 24 elders where in the post-trib world, it's typically taught. It's literally 24 elders. When you teach that the multitude that no man can number that appears before God in revelation chapter seven are tribulation saints, you know, rather and, and that's not the rapture. How can you claim literal interpretation? If somebody's going to claim literal interpretation it should be the post-tribbers. So uh, he's saying that's one of our pillars, but here's the thing about that, okay? If you don't use that pillar, can you really claim that's evidence of a pre-trib doctrine? Because pre-tribbers are the biggest in the allegories and symbolism and all that kind of nonsense. So I'm sorry, but um, I feel like you're gaslighting us a little bit when you try to prove a pre-trib rapture by saying we interpret the Bible literally. Now, if... if if you as a premillennialist want to say that to uh, a premillennial futurist, if you want to say that to a preterist, that's fine. But don't say that when you're speaking amongst the futurist world, uh, and especially to post-tribbers who for sure are more literal than you are on it. So uh, just, just kind of uh, some interesting things there. It's very hypocritical to say that um, pre, a pillar of the pre-trib is a literal interpretation of the scripture. But he said it, so let's go ahead and go on to the oh, wrong video. Let's go ahead and go on to the next pillar.
pillar of the pre-tribulation rapture is a distinction between the nation of Israel and the church. Now, I want to say that Israel was a physical earthly nation, while the church is a spiritual heavenly body. Okay, so there is a difference between the two. Now, 1 Corinthians 10.32 says this, Give none offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. So there's Jews, Gentiles, and the church of God. And so we try to interpret that there is a difference between Israel and the church. Now, uh, in the book of Jeremiah, the Lord spoke about a time of Jacob's trouble. And that was... Okay, let me stop for a minute. Why would he say New Testament Gentile church? Why do they always say that? Why do they get away with saying New Testament Gentile church? Why do they get away with saying that? Hey, why, why is the church a Gentile thing? Have we ever read Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3? Who were the thousands being saved in the early church? It was Jews. They were all Jews. Who was the one that was going and starting all these churches in the Gentile nations? It was Jews that were starting these. And often they were Jews amongst them getting saved and being a part of that church too. So it becomes a Gentile church. Why isn't it that Gentiles are just now being included in the covenant? That's what the Bible actually teaches. So dispensationalists are always using these extra biblical terms that you can't even find in the scriptures. And they do this to just get you used to a certain way of thinking. And, you know, God use that's, that's why we need to use God's words. God's words put thoughts in our mind and they will put thoughts that line up with the scriptures. Dispensationalists, they use man's words and man's words will also put thoughts in your mind, but they are typically going to be thoughts that don't line up with the scripture. And when you're saying New Testament Gentile church, okay, you are using a term that God didn't use and you're trying to put a theology in people's mind that you just can't find in the scripture referring to the tribulation period. Now, we do not believe that the local New Testament Gentile church is Jacob. We do not believe that that's Israel. We believe they're two different entities. Now, okay, now time of Jacob's trouble, time of Jacob's trouble, right? What is the time of Jacob's trouble? First off, the time of Jacob's trouble happened in Jeremiah's day, okay? Obviously, I believe in a foreshadowing of things to come, but, but either way, they will use that to prove that, you know, it's just talking about Israel. And again, I believe it was directly talking about Israel. I also believe that the time of Jacob's trouble happened when the Babylonians came through and destroyed the temple, which is what Jeremiah was prophesying about. And it happened in that day. But at the same time too, uh, I also believe it was a foreshadowing of a permanent destruction that was going to be coming on uh, Jerusalem and the temple that happened in 70 AD. And so, yeah, of course that, uh, of, of course that happened, but they ignore that. You'll never hear dispensationalists talk about 70 AD. They can't, it messes with their theology way too much. And so, uh, yeah, this new Testament Gentile church thing, you can't find that phrase in the Bible, but he sure likes to say it. Replacement theology is often a pretty common theology today, basically saying that here's the nation of Israel and that the church just basically replaced that and this, this is no more. The, the nation of Israel is no more. It's gone forever. And uh, that's called replacement theology. Well, that's not exactly uh, what we believe today. It's not what I believe. I believe that God has set aside the nation of Israel for a time. He's working through the New Testament church, but when the church is raptured out, he will go back and work again in the tribulation period through that nation. And that's what that means. Now, the third pillar of the pre-tribulation 
and rapture is the concept that the all right so again showing that difference between church and israel now this is where dispensationalists like refuse to have an honest conversation because they do they build a lot of straw men with all of this but first off it is it is just a fact i mean jesus flat out said and they don't address this how the kingdom was taken from israel now what does that mean again it means something right well here's what it means the physical the the things of the kingdom the the spiritual things the priesthood the ministry the role of being a light to the world all these things were taken from that physical nation and it was given to a spiritual nation but again they make it like you're saying god took it from jews and gave it to gentiles well here's the th again who were all the first christians they were jews thousands of them all those jews at pentecost when they got saved did they didn't separate themselves from israel did they then quit being israel did peter and paul and the disciples did they lose the inheritance when they were obedient to jacob when they were obedient to moses and they followed jesus christ the messiah did they lose those things or did they continue in that covenant of course they continued in that covenant and those who rejected got exactly what moses said all you know he prophesied the lord's going to raise up a prophet unto your brethren like unto me unto him shall you hearken and anyone who doesn't it they it will be required of them and so that generation that rejected the messiah they were destroyed and so god did that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away it says in hebrews and that old covenant system did serve a purpose for a time but that purpose came to an end and now we have no continuing city we seek one to come we have we don't have tribes we don't have levitical priests jesus completed all those things and and so it's not even that he gave it to this brand new organization okay the new testament gentile church no god instituted some things on them until the time of reformation and so god reformed that kingdom that at one time was primarily made up of a physical people but the and the ones who uh obeyed and received jesus as the messiah they continued in that kingdom and then we as gentiles we weren't born into that kingdom we were born again into that kingdom we when we got saved we entered that kingdom we came a part of it all the things of the law that had separated us before jesus christ removed those things at the cross and so when we believed on him we became a part of that covenant and we are a continuation of the church that was in the wilderness a church that god reformed that god changed and so in, in dispensationalism you have israel and then you have this whole new thing that comes up later of a gentile church that was started with thousands of jews which is you know inter interesting that they choose to say that but no the thousands of jews who believed on the messiah were obedient to the law they continued and then we were grafted among them and then those unbelieving natural branches were broken off and so uh understand there's a there's a lot of just straw men that are being addressed right there and it just it shows that there is a lot 
that he does not understand. So let's go ahead and so the uh, difference between the church and Israel, um, he doesn't understand what Israel was. He doesn't understand what Israel, uh, what the church is. And unfortunately, he believes that the UN creation from 1948 is the same Israel as the Israel of the Bible. What is your biblical connection? Okay, you have no biblical connection. Calling the UN creation of 1948 Israel is the same thing as Bruce Jenner calling himself a woman. It's the same thing. He has no connection. He, he has no cl legitimate claim to be a woman. He might dress up like one. He might call himself one, but he has no legitimate claim to being a woman. And yes, these people can call themselves Jews. They can say they are Jews and they're not. They can call themselves Israel. Doesn't make it true. Okay. And so again, just like we don't recognize people's preferred pronouns, I don't recognize their preferred nation name. And, and I definitely, when, they, when they're still claiming to be the people of God. So y'all need to get a hold of this. So. Tribulation is a one seven-year period. Okay, it's not a three and a half year period. Uh, it is a seven year period where God works and, and Jacob's trouble happens. Daniel 9, 27 is the text verse. It says, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. In the midst of weeks, he shall cause a sacrifice and the oblation to cease. So one week there in the Bible is uh, is seven years, according to Daniel 9, 27. And so we interpret that to be a literal seven year period of time. And at the beginning of that, the, the church goes up and is gone. Now, the next pillar is uh, one that a lot of people have a lot of trouble with. And I, I... All right. So the seven-year tribulation. Seven-year tribulation, right? Seven-year tribulation. What was this proof text? Daniel 9. Did you know the book of Daniel never uses the word tribulation? Never. It, it never uses it. So well, then why do people call it the tribulation? They call it the tribulation because of Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 refers to the uh, tribulation. Okay. But Matthew 24 also says after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon shall not give her light. That is the sixth seal in Revelation. So if we're going to use a Bible term, shouldn't we use it the way the Bible uses it? He uses Daniel to prove a seven-year tribulation when Matthew 24 is where we get the word tribulation. And in Matthew 24, Jesus Christ himself said, after the tribulation, the sun is darkened and the moon is turned to blood. Now, if you look at every pre-trib chart, okay, when it gets to the sixth seal, they believe that's somewhere near the halfway point. Everyone, everyone would agree with that. And, then, and they believe that the trumpets and the vials come after that. So how can you just say everything in all the events in Revelation are the tribulation? Revelation doesn't title it that. The words, the word is used. You can find that word used, but at the same time, you never see anywhere in the scriptures where it refers to the events of Revelation the, the seals, trumpets, and vials, you'll never see it used as um, tribulation. It, it's not there. And it's definitely not in Daniel chapter 9. Just do a search. That word is not in the scriptures. And so, again, I don't know how seven-year tribulation proves pre-trib. I don't understand how that's a 
pillar of the pre-trib rapture, except for the fact that they insist that, you know, it's all about the Jews because it's, it's in Daniel. But here's another thing too. He claims literal interpretation. And it's funny how pre-tribbers love to talk about Daniel's 70th week, but they don't want to talk about Daniel's other 69 weeks. Where do you get the gap? Where do you get the gap? Okay. There, the, you can't display the gap in scriptures, but yet people insist that it is there because it must be there in order for their theology to be true. Going through this, one thing I do, do want to say in defense of uh, Christian influencer Spencer Smith is all these arguments he's making, he didn't come up with these. Um, he's repeating what he's been told. Okay, this is all, all the stuff that he's mentioning. These are common things that are repeated. This is co uh, pretty common Bible college stuff uh, that you will hear. And this is what people are, are trained. Uh, these are what people are trained to say. Uh, but yet you can tell when that they haven't done any personal study on these things. For example, he used the um, give none offense to the Jew, the Gentile, nor to the church of God. Okay. Now, here's a question for everyone. All right. So why would the Bible in one passage say in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. And then in another passage say, give not offense to the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God proven. There's three different groups out there. You've got the Jews, you know, you, and they're the people of God. You've got the church. They're the people of God. And you got lost people uh, that, that are neither. Why, why did Paul do it? Is it, be, is it proving God has two people, even though in Ephesians 2, it says he made, made both one and broke down the middle wall partition? Listen, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There isn't Israel in the church. There are not two peoples of God. But on earth, there can be many different groups of people. And Paul, when he said, give none offense to the Jew, the Gentile, the church of God, He's saying that because Paul is trying to minister, he tries to minister to the church. He doesn't want to offend the church of God. He's trying to get Jews saved. He doesn't want to offend Jews. He's trying to get saved. He's, uh, he's, uh, wants to win Gentiles. He doesn't want to offend Gentiles and Jews and Gentiles and the church all get offended by different things. I could say the same thing. Give not offense to the Chinese, the Russians, nor the whoever or Americans, but there's all different things that we get offended by because there it is man has all kinds of categories but in christ okay there's only one people of god so just that is not a proof text for what they're saying but that's in every dispensational book i've got whole videos i've done on that i'm not going to spend a lot of time on that but the jew the gentile the church of god argument is ridiculous and they are not using that scripture the way the apostle paul did and it's embarrassing to listen to people repeat that foolishness. So let's go ahead and uh, watch another pillar. I don't really have any trouble with this whatsoever. It's the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've got several verses in front of me, but the one that seems to really jump out to me is in Romans 13. It says this in uh, Romans 13, verse number 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, talking about the second coming of Christ. Uh, verse 11 says, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Uh, that That is an imminency, an imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is, this is written to a local New Testament church in the first century. Okay, so imminency, imminency is something 
meaning, uh, meaning basically that at any moment the Lord Jesus Christ could come and uh, and take us home. Now the next, you got the snap in there. They all, everybody does the snap when they're talking about eminency. It's it's funny how they do that. But eminency, one of the pillars of a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, I've done whole videos too, uh, debunking eminency, but I can't help but uh, I have to cover the scripture that he went to because here, just a little history, not long before he, he did this video, he had made another video where he was trying to debunk the post-trib doctrine. And one of the things he said in there is, I mean, the Bible says the day of Christ is at hand. I, that was what he said in the video. Well, of course, the post-tribbers saw it and they absolutely took him to school and showed, uh, wait a minute, that phrase you just used, go back and look at it again. It says, let no man deceive you as that the day of Christ is at hand. And so he ended up taking that video down. He looked so bad, but you, he, he knew the rapture is at hand. Why? Because there's, that's what it says in the songs. There are songs about it being at hand. Preachers have been saying it is at hand forever. And so he got called out on it, looked foolish. And so he had to find a verse. So obviously he did a, you know, a search, uh, like an e-sword search. And he goes to Romans chapter 13, where it says the day is at hand. He just found that phrase, the day is at hand. And therefore that proves imminency. Okay. He can come at any moment. There is nothing in the scriptures that says that most scriptures that people use to teach imminency come from Matthew 24, which he was already taken to school on that too. And knew you can't go to Matthew 24. So he did. He just searched at hand. There's got to be something in the Bible that shows the rapture is at hand. Let's go to Romans chapter 13 and look at what it says and see if it's teaching that the rapture is at hand. It says Romans 13, 11. And knowing the time that it is now, that is that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the lust of the flesh to our, to fulfill the lust thereof. So why did you keep on reading? Here's why. Cause it's crystal clear what he's describing right there that, Hey, we are children of light. The day is at hand, not the day of Christ, not the day of the Lord. That's not, that's not what he's saying. No, meaning, meaning daytime. So let's walk in the light. The night is far spent. We're not in darkness anymore. So now that we, the day is at hand, that it is upon us, that it is here, let's act like it. Let's live like it. Let's walk like it. And he just assumes this is referring to the rapture, but that, that is not the case. You know, that does, that does not prove imminency. It just proves that we should be walking as children of the light that we don't have any, there's no place for us to hide. So it's just, you could tell he, he knows the rapture has to be at hand and he, he literally searched at hand and that's what he came up with. And so it's, it's pretty painful to listen to stuff like that. But, uh, you know, that's, that's all pre-trivers have anymore. You know what, you know what he's doing? He's not being literal again. He's not being literal again 
with the scriptures, you know, doing the snap. What's the point of the snap? Because in pre-tribulation rapture theology, everybody just vanishes one of these days like that. Twinkling of an eye. Listen to another preacher just this week. Another one who went off on a rabbit trail explaining the, sp the, the speed of a twinkling of an eye and talking about how we're going to disappear like that. I'm just like, there is nothing in the scriptures that says we are going to disappear. There's nothing that even alludes to that. We are going to be changed in a moment. Twinkling of an eye. It doesn't say we're going to be caught up in a moment of twinkling of an eye or transported in a twinkling of an eye. It doesn't say any of that. But that is the image that has been put in people's minds by a thief in the night movie, by the left behind movies and the books. That is the image that's been put in their minds. And people have gone to the scriptures looking for something that lines up with that picture that is in their head rather than letting the words of scripture put an image in their head. And here's the problem. You'll, if you let the scriptures put an image in your head and you see a change, you know, you're going to start connecting it to scriptures that they don't want you connecting to the rapture. They don't want you connecting it to the rapture. And, and what we're going to see he's going to do here in a little bit is they, uh, you know, and, and I agree with the whole separating the uh, rapture from Christ's return in Re Revelation 19, even though I'm not dogmatic on that. And I'll go ahead and make some post trippers mad at me saying that I am not dogmatic on that. I'm becoming less and less sure of that every day. However, it's still my official position. Those are two separate events. And so they'll take that fact, but then they will use it. And then they'll just try to make any passage that does not give the image of the rapture in the left behind books. And in the thief in the night movie, they will say that clearly isn't about the rapture. That's about the second coming. That's what they'll say. So we'll, we'll see him do that here in a little bit. Don't want to get ahead of myself. Let's go ahead and watch the next part. Pillar of the pre-tribulation rapture is the church is a mystery in the Old Testament. Church being a mystery. Now, uh, the Old Testament prophets did not see the church. I, I just don't think they did. Now, I, I even believe that the uh, the apostles, they didn't even see the church age coming. Uh, the church age was not revealed until the apostle Paul revealed it in his New Testament writings. Okay, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. They knew that that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He came. But the next phrase says, And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name should be called Wonderful Counselor of the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. So they thought this child would come. And then immediately when he came, we would just step from one into another where the government would be upon his shoulders. They thought we were going into the millennial kingdom. And uh, they thought that, man, this is, they thought this is it. So um, look what it says in, in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 6. Um, when Christ has been crucified, rose from the dead, he's standing there on the top of Mount Olivet with his disciples. He says this, uh, the disciples said to Christ there, uh, when they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So they thought that they were going to go from Christ to kingdom. And that's exactly what they thought. But they didn't understand that there was a church age coming. And they did not see that. And so the church is a mystery in the Old Testament mind. And so they didn't see that. And so you have to take that into account when you're dealing with all these prophecies about the Lord coming. That's at the end of the tribulation period and the kingdom shall be ushered in. So uh, you have to keep that in mind when you're dealing with prophecy. And if you understand that, then the pre-tribulation rapture starts to make a lot more sense. Now, 
All right. So notice how he kept, and again, folks, I can't harp on this enough. The importance of using biblical terms versus extra biblical terms. This is, I am not saying that uh, extra biblical term are sinful, that they can't ever be used. I'm saying when people have to use extra biblical terms, pay very close attention to what comes out of their mouth. Because if I use a term that's not in the Bible, I can also attach a definition to it. When you use a Bible term, you're forced to make whatever definition you come up with fit the context in how that word is used. And so Spencer Smith cannot do that with what he is trying to sell you right here. So notice how he brings up how the church age was a mystery. Okay. Now, I understand what he's trying to say here, but if he said it right, it would change everything. He's saying the church age was a mystery that they did not understand. Here's what was a mystery. If we read Ephesians, we can see this. The inclusion of the Gentiles into the covenant, that was the mystery, not the church age. See, and again, they have so many just false assumptions, false premises. For example, uh, you have those who believe that the church started at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Okay? They assume that, and therefore that shows the new church age. No, the church was reformed with Christ, okay? And the church was built on that, on that proclamation of Peter that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. But... There was a church in the wilderness, okay? We And we are, we are a continuation of that. And I don't have time to talk about that. But no, the church age was not a mystery. The inclusion of the Gentiles, that was the mystery. That was what was not previously understood. I wish I had time to go through Ephesians. And if we look at Ephesians as a whole and what Paul's talking about, they the Jews, the Old Testament prophets, they did not understand how it was going to work with Gentiles being included in the covenant when there were so many things in the law that would exclude Gentiles from the covenant, even though there were many passages in Isaiah and in Jeremiah and Ezekiel showing hope for the Gentiles and salvation for the Gentiles. They saw those things, but they did not understand them. Why is that? Because they didn't understand the cross yet. They didn't understand how Jesus Christ was going to come and he was going to make him use be him. Uh, his body was going to be the sacrifice for sin, how he was going to blot out that handwriting of ordinances that was against him. And he was going to nail them, those things to the cross. They didn't understand all that yet. Those things were a mystery. The promise of salvation, the promise of the inclusion, you know, of the inclusion of the Gentiles. These things were promised, but they were not fully manifested at that time. And the apostle Paul revealed those things. So when we see this kingdom, and he's going to say more about it in a little bit. Yes, there were things they did not understand yet, but it wasn't this brand new church age. Another thing, another phrase you won't see in the scriptures. It wasn't that they didn't see this church age, this new Testament Gentile church. No, the inclusion of the Gentiles and I've preached a lot on this before. I probably should do some podcasts just on some of these things in Ephesians. But dispensationalists are completely 
completely dependent on extra biblical terms that they can attach definitions to. And he did. He just went into a bunch of common, just, you know, eschatological rhetoric that is commonly used and repeated, but never displayed in the scripture. They cannot display a pre-tribulation rapture. They will even admit that there is no single verse anywhere that says the rapture is going to come before the tribulation, but their theology okay, that they that is based on allegories, that is based on not interpreting the text literally, are is where this stuff all comes from. And so it's embarrassing to watch them make these claims while just making themselves look like hypocrites without the whole thing. There's so much double talk going on. So let's go ahead and watch the next part. The sixth pillar of the pre-tribulation rapture is a dispensational interpretation of the Bible. Um, I have always called myself a mild dispensationalist. I, I have no problem with that term. Um, it, matter of fact, if you believe that there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, then technically you are a dispensationalist as well. Uh, a dispensation, simply put, is this, is that God gives a set of rules for a specific situation, okay? And when the situation changes, God dispenses another set of rules or guidelines or laws for which you operate by. For example, in the, uh, in the Garden of Eden, what was the rule? The rule was, you know, work and tend, but don't touch that one tree. Uh, that is not what's what we're doing today. We're not in a garden. We're not, uh, you know, we're, there is no tree of knowledge of good and evil that we can go and, you know, not partake of, okay? That's not the situation now. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament Israel, there were laws like, uh, for example, if you notice the Virgin Mary, when she, after she had Christ, she had to go to the temple and offer for her purification. Uh, nobody alive is doing that today. Nobody's doing that. Why? Because we, we live in a different time. There's a different dispensation, if you will. I am a New Testament church believer, and uh, that's what I am. I am not Old Testament Israel. I did not offer uh, bullocks for my sacrifice. Um, I don't have meal offerings. I don't, I don't do all that stuff. There is no temple for me to go to today, all right? So we live in a different dispensation, if you will. Now, there are, there are themes to the Bible that are very consistent. I believe the theme of grace. I believe in the theme of, of faith. Um, I, you know, I believe all that's consistent woven through the Bible, but there are things through the Bible that are different. Um, I believe that the time of Abraham was different than the time of today. I believe in the time of the pre-flood, uh, time of the world before Noah, I believe that that was different than today in, in a lot of aspects. Okay. Um, now, like I said, there are, there are themes that God operates by consistent all throughout the Bible, no matter what, uh, but there are some differences. And so you have to take that into consideration. Uh, for example, the tribulation is not the church age. There, there's, there's different things happening. There's a mark of the beast being taken. Um, and you know, right now, I mean, there, there is no mark for me to take right now. Okay. So the idea of don't take the mark of the beast, that doesn't apply to me right now because that that's not even in existence, but it will be. Okay. So there are, there are differences of dispensations in the Bible. The New Testament church does not operate by the same exact dietary laws or uh, sacrificial laws that the Old Testament nation of Israel operated by. So once you understand that, then the pre-tribulation rapture will start to come together for you. All right. So I really want my dispensational friends to hear what I'm about to say here. This is very, very important. Okay. 
So, so first off, some of what he says about dispensationalism, uh, you know, is is partially true. Okay, so it does say in Hebrews chapter six or uh, not Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter one says God who at sundry time and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds. So under the, what he's trying to describe here is, and I is one of the reasons too, I do not immediately declare someone a heretic who calls themselves a dispensationalist. As much as I hate that word, I do not believe everyone who identifies with that term is, is a heretic. The truth is there are many true things that people say in the name of dispensationalism. Okay. There are many things that people try to prove from the scriptures that they accurately prove and they do it in the name of dispensationalism in their minds. Okay. But at the same time, there are many heresies that many people claim in the name of dispensationalism. There are many errors that people make that they are making because they have accepted a dispensational systematic. And so, but here's it. So here's, here's what all dispensationalists have in common where they're wrong is they don't use the word dispensation the way Paul does. If you want to tell me, I think things are different today than they were in the old Testament. Well, of course, but I don't need dispensationalism to explain why that is. Okay. I, you know, obviously, you know, we, uh, you know, the mark of the beast is not here right now, but I don't need dispensations to prove that that does not prove dispensations. Okay. And I'm not going to spend time going through all the uses, the four uses of the word dispensation. I'm not going to take time to do that, but you will, you go study all four of those passages and Paul never used that word the way dispensationalists use it. There's no, there's not dispensations as in periods of time and things like that. That is not, that is not in the scriptures. You can't find that anywhere, but many people there are obviously we're not, there's not a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay. This is all obvious stuff. Okay. Hebrews is all we need to understand these things. What you need to understand in order to understand the differences is it's called new Testament theology, new covenant theology. Yes. All those things you refer to, these were things that were in the old covenant. Yes. Mary did take Jesus to the temple. Okay. That was under the old covenant, but we are now in the new covenant where Jesus abolished and he finished those things. And so, yes, our system is very, is very different today. And he was right. I'm glad he said that there's been a theme of grace and faith throughout the scriptures. That's absolutely true. Okay. And many dispensationalists are, are right when they say that, and they don't go into dispensational salvation and teeth, faith plus works in the old Testament. Good for them that that hasn't happened. But again, you don't need dispensationalism to prove all these things. There's too many flaws in that system. And, uh, and the one thing that they all have in common is they all have Israel wrong. Even the non-heretical ones, they all have is wrong. They don't understand what Israel was. They don't understand what the church is. And a lot of that is because of the many errors 
of dispensationalism. Some errors are more minor. Some errors are huge. And so it's important we understand that. Because another thing, too, when he talks about how, you know, they didn't understand the New Testament church age. Right? No, here's what they didn't understand. They didn't understand many truths about the kingdom is what they didn't understand. Okay. It is very clear. And we'll, we're going to cover some of this, I believe, in the next point. There were certain aspects about the kingdom of God that they clearly did not understand that they had wrong. Um, but at the same time, too, what many dispensationalists are doing, they're assuming that what the Jews who rejected Christ looked for and expected, or even what the ones who got saved, but had not had these things revealed to them yet, they're assuming they're right. But it's like, wait a minute, if they learned later that they were wrong and God revealed some things to them, shouldn't we take those things into consideration when looking at stuff today? But everybody wants, that's one of the big problems with dispensationalists. They interpret the Old Testament the same way the Jews, even still today, interpret the Old Testament and the way that the ones who rejected the Messiah did. No. Okay. Obviously, Jesus did not reveal everything during that time. Paul revealed many things after the fact. And so the thing is, we should take into consideration what has been revealed now when we look at the Old Testament and when we even look at the book of Acts early on. And, I, and I'll show you an example of that here in a little bit. Let's go ahead and watch the next part of this video. Now, the last pillar is the distinction between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. There, it comes in basically two parts. One's the rapture where the church goes up, and the other is the revelation of Jesus Christ where he comes down. And they're not the same thing. First Thessalonians 4 talks about a, an event where the church people go up to meet the Lord in the clouds. Okay. Second Thessalonians 5 talks about a different event there, the times and seasons. Now, you can cross-reference 1 Thessalonians 5 with Acts chapter number 1, and you can find a difference there. Basically, the rapture is where God calls his people out of the tribulation. And then the revelation of Jesus Christ is where Christ comes to rule and reign on the planet. There are two different events that happen at two different times. And uh, that's basically pretty plain from, a, from what I see in the Bible. And so, basically, the pre-tribulation rapture is a byproduct of these seven basic ideas, scriptural concepts that you find in the Bible. Literal interpretation of the Bible, distinction between Israel and the church, the tribulation is one seven-year period. The imminent return of Jesus Christ. The church is a mystery in the Old Testament, a dispensational interpretation of the Bible, and a distinction between the rapture and the second coming. And so that's uh, that's pretty pretty plain stuff. And so I want to give you something to think about, something to chew on. This was my no means meant to be exhaustive. Uh, just going to hit the high points and move on. And so God bless you, friend. Thank you for taking time to watch this video. Please like and share, subscribe to our channel. We're going to put a lot more good stuff like this up in the future. And uh, hopefully it'll be a help and a blessing to you guys. Thank you so very much. We appreciate you. All right. So the rapture and the second coming are two different events. And again, that is officially my position. Okay. That's officially my position. But understand what they just kind of do. It's kind of like evolutionists. Whenever they see something in uh, science and in nature that they just can't understand, they just say billions and billions of years. And then it's just like you can't really, uh, you know, they're not forced to explain anything. Billions of years just explains everything. And they kind of do that too. Whenever you're showing them something 
about the rapture that does not look like the image that's been put in their mind by the thief of the night and left behind books. They tell you that's not the rapture. That's the second coming. But I want you to notice something that he did in that he referred to first Thessalonians five and showed that it was not the same event. Okay. Now, one of the reasons that, you know, he, he did not go in depth, but I've heard him talk about this before. So I know where his thinking is on this and uh, I'm not wrong, but if, uh, if he thinks I'm wrong, he's welcome to come on this program and, uh, and clear these things up for me. But he believes that first Thessalonians event, first Thessalonians four for the Lord himself should send from heaven, the shout voice, the archangel and so on. That's the rapture, but that's a different event from what we see immediately after in first Thessalonians five. Now, many pre-tribbers in, in an attempt to be consistent are making this claim that first Thessalonians five is not a reference to the rapture. Now that is just almost impossible to fathom. You know, when we just read first Thessalonians four and five together and the coming of Christ has been referred to in every single chapter and everyone would agree all of it is referring to the rapture. When we get to chapter five, he's talking about a, a different event. Now, again, this is what you have to do if you're going to be pre-trib. This is why you don't go to the scriptures looking for proof of what you already decided is true. You go to the scriptures to let it tell you what is true. And so let's read 1 Thessalonians 5. In verse 1, it says, But of the times and seasons, brethren... And he says this right after he's talked about the rapture, right after he says, wherefore comfort one another with these words, everyone agrees is rapture, but of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you for yourselves. Know perfectly that the day of the Lord. So cometh as a thief in the night. Okay. Now this is another problem because the songs from the seventies, every preacher, preacher, he's coming as a thief in the night. And that like, that's a rapture, but no, he says the day of the Lord is going to come as a thief in the night. And they now know, Spencer Smith knows, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. It is without a doubt, it cannot be combated that what is being described here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is after the tribulation. Because after the tribulation, after the tribulation, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon will not give her light. It's after the tribulation. Okay? And the Bible also says the sun should be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before that great notable day of the Lord come. So the day of the Lord comes after the tribulation. That is a fact that is indisputable. So when you're reading this passage here and it says day of the Lord, well, yeah, the day of the Lord does come after the tribulation. It does come after the sun is darkened and moon is turned to blood. So this can't be the rapture if pre-trib's true. But again, are you interpreting, are you letting the Bible tell you it's true? Or are you looking for evidence in the Bible to back up what you've already claimed? This is, there is nothing in the text to give us any clue whatsoever that he has changed subjects here. But Spencer Smith will just tell you that he is. And, and here's why he, he alluded to the connection. I'll show it to you in a minute. Uh, I've heard, I've heard some Ruckmanites make this claim because uh, using their, what I call Ruckmanite cross references. So it says, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. But ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. 
Ye are all children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch. Watch for what? Day of the Lord. That's what he's been talking about. Let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day. Why are we of the day? Because the day is at hand. Okay, it's here. We are of the day. Be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting? Right there is a foundational verse for a pre-tribulation rapture. We're not appointed to wrath. We're not appointed to wrath. Well, what is wrath? The day of the Lord is God's wrath. Go read every reference in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord. It's always talking about God's wrath. It's a day of wrath. The day of the Lord is when God pours his wrath out on the world. That is when the day, that is when God pours his wrath on the day of the Lord. There's no doubt about that. And the sun is dark, turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord. So if the day of the Lord is when God pours out his wrath, and it is, go read any scripture. If the sun is turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the day of the Lord, if the sun is turned to darkness and the moon to blood after the tribulation of those days, then how can you say that this verse right here, where it says God hath not appointed us to wrath is referring to the tribulation. How can you say that? You can't folks. The tribulation and God's wrath are two different events. God's wrath comes after the tribulation of those days. That is spelled out in the scriptures. I mean, we can display that word for word in the scriptures. I can use Bible terms. I can use Bible verses. They have nothing. So here's what he does. Here's what he does to prove this isn't talking about the rapture, even though there's nothing in this, pa in this passage to indicate we've changed subjects. But he believes we've changed subjects because it says times and seasons times and seasons cross-reference okay and, and don't i don't have time to explain ruckmanite cross-references but in acts 1 in verse 6 says when they therefore were come together they asked him saying lord wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to israel and and so you know they didn't understand this church age that's why they asked that question they didn't understand the new testament gentile church age that, that's what they'll say but wait a minute, could it, could there be another reason they said this now in the dispensational world, you all have decided that you can't display it from the scriptures that God put the Jews on hold and he put them on a shelf, but he's going to come back to them. Okay. That that's what you all believe, but you can't display it from the scriptures. So you insert it in certain places. Okay. But how is this passage is not teaching that? Okay, what could have prompted the disciples to make this statement? Will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Could it be they're asking this because shortly before Christ died on the cross, he gave all those prophecies against Israel and said, The kingdom's going to be taken from you? He said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. So when they were saying that, you know, could, could they have been making that statement because of the fact they understood that the kingdom had been taken from them? 
and they were wondering if he was going to restore it. But notice what it says. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons. Therefore, that's connected to 1 Thessalonians 5. No, that, that uh, it, it's amazing. But then they insist that, no, this restoring of the kingdom happens after the seven-year period, after Daniel's 70th week. Okay, that's what they just assume. And so therefore, because it says times and seasons in 1 Thessalonians 5, that's referring to something after the tribulation. That's absolutely ridiculous. They are forcing all these things into the text. Because notice what he goes on to say. Because they're asking this question. Because there were some things they didn't understand. There was a mystery they didn't understand. The mystery was not the New Testament Gentile church, as Spencer Smith was saying. That was not what they didn't understand. The mystery they did not understand was the inclusion of the Gentiles. Now watch this. After he said, well, without this time, restore again, King to Israel. He said, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons, which the father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, folks, what happened shortly after when the day of Pentecost was fully come? They got filled with the Holy Ghost. They received power. Who were all these people? They were Jews. They were Jews from all over the world. 3,000 saved in one day. 5,000 saved. Multitudes of Jews are being saved. And then what did they do? They spread that message throughout the whole world. It was not God's desire to build a kingdom there in Israel. It was his desire to establish a spiritual kingdom that would spread throughout all the world that would include Gentiles, not one where Gentiles would be shut out of one that would include Gentiles. That's what he brought in with the new and better covenant with new and better promises. They did not understand that yet. And so Jesus told him, Hey, you tarry in Jerusalem until the Holy spirit shows up. They weren't ready for that yet. Okay. They, yes, there were things they did not understand, but now let's look at what the scripture says after they understand it. And we understand that, yeah, Gentiles are going to be included. They did not get that at first. They didn't even get that at Pentecost. Remember Acts chapter 10, how Peter was confused when Cornelius is getting saved. But you know what? Then he understood what Jesus had said. Then, and then, you know, Paul starts reaching many Gentiles and it was, it was something that was slowly revealed throughout the book of Acts. So uh, um, what they're doing is the dispensationalists insist that the disciples understanding of the kingdom that they had before the truth had been fully revealed before they had been empowered by the Holy spirit. They assume that that's true and that must come. No, that is not the case. That is not what we see in the scriptures at all. And so the truth is, if you were a true, if you, if you believed in dispensations, the way the Bible actually describes them, you would interpret all these passages in light of what was dispensed by God, what was dispensed through the apostles. Paul gave us much more. He dispensed much more information about these mysterious things. And so we can now look back and, and we get it. We understand it. And unfortunately, dispensationalists, they miss 
every one of these things. And as a result, they go into great confusion. And so the here, so the thing is back to the, you know, difference between, uh, you know, the rapture and the second coming of Christ. Well, this is why they make up things like where they'll say, uh, you've got to distinguish Christ coming for his saints and Christ coming with his saints, even though in first Thessalonians chapter four, what does it say? Uh, it says in for, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him at the rapture in first Thessalonians four, Christ is coming with his saints. Okay. And, um, in first Corinthians 15, we see a change in a moment, twinkling of an eye, not a disappearing, a change. But the Bible tells us that when Christ appears, that's when we are going to be changed. When we see him, we will be like him. The return of Christ will be visible. We will see him and then we will be changed and we will be transformed. We'll be made like him. We will be, we'll put on incorruption, but that doesn't look like the left behind movies. That doesn't look like a thief in the night. So they assume when we read those passages, it's a different event. And I don't have time to go through all those to prove they are the same event, but they are the same event. They are the same event. And let me tell you, even in the post-trib world, it is the position of most people that there is a difference between the rapture and Christ's coming in Revelation 19. Here's what we have to prove. Why is the event of 1 Thessalonians 4, where Christ comes in the clouds with his saints, not the event of Revelation 19, where Christ comes in the clouds with his saints? That's, that's what we got to explain. You know, we have to explain that. Are we sure we're not hanging on to some dispensational stuff? Yeah, you know, I, I still, I still kind of lean that way. But at, at the same time, I do think it, I think it's the more I study, the more positive I am that every reference that we're seeing to the coming of Christ is the rapture, except for that one. And I don't know if it's because I'm still trying to force things into my timeline, but again, I, um, you know, it's it, for, for sure. First Thessalonians five is talking about the rapture for sure. Matthew 24 talking about the rapture for sure. Revelation one, behold, he comes with the clouds and every, I see him talking about the rapture. For sure. Those are all easy to prove. Okay, that the, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing are in fact the same event. But theologies force these other things in there, and it's absolutely ridiculous. So pillar uh Spencer Smith's pillars of the pre-tribulation rapture are pillars made out of uh empty paper towel rolls. And they don't make any sense at all. And so I, sorry, I've, I'll, I'll try to briefly answer some questions. I'd mentioned I, I'd answer questions, but I always get caught up into what I'm doing. So the first one I see from Richard Ferks, do you reject amillennial eschatology? If so, why? Uh, I do reject it, but I will say too, there's much about it. I do not understand. I have not looked deeply into amillennial eschatology. Um, so I wouldn't even want to debate anybody on it because I don't I don't fully understand the position. It, um, my, based on my my understanding of amillennial eschatology, I reject it. But um, there's 
I, I, there, I, I have a lot of questions. I would like to interview some amillennialists on here sometime just because I have several questions that I need answered before um, you know I could ever accept a lot of those things. But um, yeah, I'll, I'll just admit I don't know much about it. Usually when I think of amillennialists, I think of Calvinists, and I typically don't listen to Calvinists. I figure if you can't figure out salvation, uh, I'm probably not going to go to you for eschatology for sure. That's, uh, you know, salvation, simple eschatology is difficult. And so if you can't get the simple, I'm not, doesn't, doesn't mean you're wrong. Hey, listen, just cause you're wrong on one thing doesn't necessarily mean you're wrong on others. But if you're missing the simple things, you know, I'm probably going to struggle thinking you've got the difficult things, but, uh, I don't believe all, you know, you have to be a Calvinist being a millennialist either. I'm just saying most of the ones I come across are Calvinists and I just, I have no respect uh, for Calvinists at all. And so, yeah, Pastor Jeff Woods on here, the word tribulation, the word antichrist are never found in Daniel. It's true. And yet, boy, we sure use those words a lot when expounding on passages from Daniel. I think that's, uh, I think that is very, very true for sure. Uh, let's see. I thought I saw some other questions earlier. I'm trying to go through all these things. If you if you have a question, maybe put it down again. I, I forgot to tell you, you know, always put question. It helps me find it uh, easier. Oh no, not another live debate. This doesn't it doesn't count as a debate um, if you are addressing a person's beliefs when they're not there. I personally think that's a lame way. It, it's it's similar. Uh, I guess you are kind of debating them, but. When the opponent is not there to answer for himself, that's not really fair. But at the same time, um, I would gladly let him come on here at any point. So, uh, Jesus Freak Computer Geek, how many last Trumps can there be? Not a quick tr trick question, only an obvious one. Obviously, only one. Well, of course, there's only one. La I, I, wait, let me let me put it this way. Um, how many last Trumps can there be? Well, it depends on how many trumps there are what is a trump is a trump an instrument or is a trump the sound that a trumpet makes you know th there's a question so i would say for every trumpet blast that there is there is a last trump there is a last sound that comes and so uh, are trumps and trumpets different uh, i i tend to think they are and so I believe when the trump of God sounds, okay, is it going to be a series of blasts? Is it going to be one long blast? I don't know, but I believe at the last sound of that trumpet, at that last trump, that's when we're going to be caught up. So, um, you know, if we're referring to the trump of God, you know, then yeah, I think at the last trump, but I, there's a difference between the trump of God and a trump of an angel. I've got a trumpet, you know, so, you know, for for every trump trumpet sound there is a last trump so not trying to be a smart aleck or anything but um yeah so i guess the only way to answer how many last trumps would be to know how many trumps trump you know trump blasts there's going to be so anyway uh let's see oh yeah matt said there's only one last trump of god that's a good point cuz in the rapture, who sounds a trumpet? Okay, it's the trump of God. Okay, not the trump of Gabriel. 
First off, Gabriel's not the archangel. Michael's the archangel. There is a shout with the voice of the archangel. And then there's the trump of God. And we can see in the Old Testament where God blows a trumpet. I personally think God's going to let God's going to be the one to blast a trumpet. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's referring to the last trump of God, not the last trump of angels. So it's like, well, there will we, we never hear another trumpet sound in heaven for all the rest of eternity. Will there not be any trumpet blasts at all anywhere during the millennium? Okay. Do you, do you see what you're kind of trying to do there? You're just, you know, you're trying to use words like Spencer Smith was with the times and seasons that every time times and seasons is mentioned, it's talking about the same thing. Uh, not necessarily. Nick Sayers, our, our good buddy, still mad that I just spanked the fire out of him in that debate. He's always coming on here and arguing. I'm not going to take time to read all. It doesn't look like he's asking questions. It looks like he is trying to straighten everybody out again. But um, let me see. Were there any other questions? I, there's a lot of chat on here. I've just learned I'm not, I am not smart enough to talk by myself on these things and read and pay attention to the chat at the same time. I'll get distracted the whole thing. So I'm seeing a lot, but it's not obvious that any of these things are questions. Looks like Nick Sayers is just on here trying to straighten everybody out. Listen, hey, Nick, let me give you some advice, all right? If you want to help some people out, try to make some videos that are a little shorter and not like three-hour videos. I mean, good night. I think you spent like 12 or 15 hours just on my Revelation 1 sermon. So Paul was caught up, harpazo, just like John was. He was raptured up. Uh, okay, what does that have to do with anything? You understand... Paul was caught up in the spirit. Yes, like John was caught up in the spirit. The rapture is a bodily resurrection. So, uh, Nick, bless your heart. You you have no hope. Okay, you, <laughs> you truly have no hope. But anyway, all right. Well, folks, I hope you all enjoyed this program today. Uh, and you enjoyed watching me knock down Spencer Smith, Seven Pillars of a Pre-Tribulation Rapture. I highly recommend being careful getting your theology from Christian influencers. Uh, they typically are not theologians, and there's definitely no exception in this. Spencer, and again, I'm not trying to be mean to Spencer Smith. You know, he he stands for a lot of good things. Uh, he's against contemporary Christian music and all the liberalism and all that. I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think he needs to be very careful to stay out of theological debates because. Um, he will get wasted by pretty much anyone. I don't know. I thought he was supposed to do a debate with an amillennialist. Um, he put on a big uh, production kind of promoting it. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. But um, if he's smart, he's not going to get involved in that because he'll probably get spanked even even where he's right just because he's, he's more of a big, fun personality. And... Uh, but he's, he's got about that much depth in his theology. And so, um, yeah, just, you know, but uh, understand in 2023 America, we are, we are all guided by influencers, big personalities, not by brains. And proof of that is in politics. 
you cannot get elected to anything by being smart. You have to have a great personality. You have to be likable. And that's who people follow after today. You know, not the nerds and the smart people. It's the, it's the lovable personalities. And Spencer Smith definitely has that going for him. He's a fun guy. He's a funny guy for sure. But um, not a whole lot of depth there. And definitely, and this was a short video on the seven pillars of the pre-tribulation rapture. But all those pillars show is one, ignorance, straw men, and uh, just hypocrisy. They, they don't follow these things. They don't interpret the Bible literally. Uh, these are flimsy things. The pre-tribulation rapture is uh, another doctrine that just needs to be forgotten. It's a whole lot of foolishness uh, that's based on tradition that got really popular about 50 years ago. And people aren't going to let go. Uh, many people aren't going to let go of it. But thankfully, we've got a new generation coming along that's not loyal to dead guys and are loyal to the scriptures. And I believe in our lifetime, we will see that become a less and less common thing in churches. And I'm thankful for that. And I hope I can be a small part in making that change. So anyway, thank you all for watching and appreciate all of you, except for Nick Sayers. Uh, God bless you all. And we'll see y'all next time.